This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing that. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. And your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're On our show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. <laughs> Some kids are always getting picked on. Just give it back to him. And there's nothing they can do about it. Come on, you guys. Look, Sally, could you just stay the hell out of this, okay? Even when things seem to be going their way. You're trembling. <laughs> the bullies won't leave them alone. And that's for putting your hands on my girl. But these kids have someone watching out for them. Well, those boys bothering you. Someone very special. But even he couldn't save them from their fate. They're dead. But not for long. I command you. Awaken. What have we here? I can't feel my body. I feel so weird. This is so bad. Now, the little guys are in charge. <laughs> Shrunken heads. <laughs> Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Howling at the Full Moon, where we celebrate everything and everything, uh, everything and anything Charles Band related, from his full moon days to the Empire Pictures days. And right now we have for you uh, a film from the Paramount era, Shrunken Heads from 1994. Directed by none other than Richard Elfman uh, from Forbidden Zone and Modern Vampires, amongst others. One of the founding members of Oingo Boingo. So you know you're in for quite a treat. And joining me this evening, as usual, is my good buddy, Dustin Hubbard. How the hell are you? Hey, I am fantastic. Very happy to uh, be, be discussing this movie tonight. Yeah, this is uh, this is probably one of my top ten favorites. 
believe it or not. I know sometimes I fluctuate on which ones I like and which ones I love, but Shrunken Heads, it's a it's a damn fun movie and it's a damn funny movie at the same time. Yeah, it's uh it's a very it's probably one of the most eclectically strange high concept weird things that full moon has ever produced which might sound like a tall statement for full moon because they kind of specialize in just weird shit a lot of times but uh this this movie is like the granddaddy of weird (laughs) yeah yeah it is but when you got richard elfman at the helm you, you should probably expect a whole lot of weird I mean that that definitely helps. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, yeah, I remember. I haven't got. I haven't seen it in. I'm going to say it's been well over a decade. I just haven't revisited it, and I think I love it even more now than I did back then uh, when I saw it on original, you know, like on VHS from the old video mm-hmm. store days. Now I, I did read something in uh, before I get off into the, uh, the the bulk of the film. I read a bit of trivia that I wasn't sure was was true or not. I doubted its uh, legitimacy, but maybe you know. Mm-hmm. He said this was the first full moon film or the only full moon film to get a theatrical release. Did this have a theatrical release? So when you said that, I knew this is exactly what you were going to bring up. <laughs> so <laughs> Drunken Heads was conceived as being full moon's uh, first theatrical release uh, many people misremember thinking that things like puppet master and whatnot played in theaters but that was never the case uh, shrunken heads was conceived and produced with the intention of releasing it theatrically uh, i believe when all was said and done uh the nationwide rollout did not happen for whatever reason uh, or the you know handful of city rollout whatever they would have done it would have probably been a, you know a limited, limited run probably sure. like, do like in you know 10 12 different cities but uh that did not happen I, I could be wrong but i remember hearing uh once upon a time and reading it somewhere that uh the film did have a new york run had a new york premiere uh, and i believe that that was actually paid out of uh Elfman's pocket. Ah, okay. Yeah, I think oh, I would I would have remembered a you know a shrunken it, heads theatrical run if there was a legitimate wide release. It is a very theatrical feeling movie though because it, it it's a very just a vibrant and colorful and lively big feeling movie for them. So I think it would have suited the format. I so I believe it did see. A screen, probably not plural screens, though. (laughs) Um, It's one of the few, one of the very, very few, along with probably, you know, the original Oblivion. Uh, I believe the Creeps might have had, you know, a few screens. And Evil Bong 3D. And that's probably the, the bulk of Full Moon produced, theatrically kind of aimed projects. Well, nice, nice. It was, I was curious about that. I couldn't find out much about it, but like I said, I, I doubted the legitimacy of it, but I figured if anybody knew, you would know. But let's go ahead and get off into the movie, with, starting with the quick IMDb synopsis. 
which is as follows. Shrunken Heads, 1994. When three New York kids are murdered, the local Haitian voodoo priest reanimates their shrunken heads to exact revenge. Complication arise between one of the heads and his former girlfriend. And I feel like that's pretty uh, that's pretty legit and straight up, but uh, it, it, it doesn't be- begin to even tap into the craziness of this movie. I, I, one of my first notes here is that it, and this obviously probably because the you know the director being Richard Altman and having a musical background, it feels like a theatrical you know like a stage play, mm-hmm. like a musical, minus the minus the song and dance numbers. It, it definitely feels that way. It was very much, I believe, designed with music in mind, uh, and I can say that because I do actually own a a signed script of shrunken heads and there are specific notations in it describing the music cues and actually specifically pointing out that the the script was actually written with the intention of the the climax chase scene happening to uh, oingo boingo's no one lives forever so there was a direct intention of uh, musical vibe to the film Yeah, the, and it, it comes across. It comes across in the film, definitely. I mean, the sets, the set design. It feels like a little bit of. It feels like kind of like a version of West Side Story meets Little Shop of Horrors is the way yeah. I describe it. If this had been a, if this had been made for a sub label of Full Moons, uh, you know, many years later, it would have been perfectly suited in concept to something like uh, one we previously discussed pulp fantasy because it's very it feels very much like a comic book brought to life which which is fitting considering that the, the lead characters are comic book enthusiasts so yeah yeah and and the characters themselves are very comic booky i mean julius harris is mr sumatra meg <laughs> meg foster is big mo I mean, they're all very comic book style, over the top, flamboyant type characters. And I love seeing Julius Harris, Harris in this. Now, this is going to seem like a weird film uh, for me to bring up, but I always remembered him, uh, not only from like Live and Let Die and, and Maniac Cop 3, but he started one of my favorite movies from the 90s, which was Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, which he just played <laughs> the guy who ran the bar. He was just known as the old man. But that's, I, I like. I don't like to use the phrase "guilty pleasure," but that is, if there is one, that's probably about it, because that for many, many years was my most favorite movie of all time, Harley Davidson, Marvel Man. But that being said, I, when I saw him in this again, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's fucking that's the old man." And yeah, he he had a very very uh, diverse <laughs> film career. So yeah, I mean, considering he. He was in stuff like Live and Let Die, Dark Man. I mean, like a lot of stuff. And Meg Foster, I mean, she's a wonder to watch in this movie. She's great in everything she does. But the the, the over-the-top kind of mode of her character, Big Mo, is just just, uh, chef's kiss to this movie. I, I think that when people think of Meg Foster, the first thing they think of, obviously, is the eyes. Uh, and film-wise, I think the the first things people usually think of are like obviously Masters of the Universe, where she mm-hmm. played Evil Win, and then probably obviously They Live, 
Right, and, right. You know, it's probably what she's most recognized recognized from, I'm sure. Or maybe stepfather too. But for me, I think that you know, and I could be biased because I'm obsessed with Full Moon. But I think that the, the two roles that she's di- that she did for Full Moon in her three films that she acted for them with, where she played Stellbar, the android mm-hmm. cop in you know the Oblivion films, and this where she plays Big Mo as a husky, very butch. Uh, lesbian crime boss. I think these are honestly two of her most diverse roles that really don't get enough credit as opposed to the other stuff, personally. Yeah, I mean, the way they portray her in here, you would have expected her to be, like, just coming fresh out of, like, a James Cagney or Humphrey Bogart movie. She's playing that role to a T. She's so smooth, and I, I had the opportunity of meeting her a few years ago at a at a convention down here and I, you know, told her, I was like, I was looking at all the photos and I'm like, you've got a lot of great stuff here, but I'm like, you don't have any pictures of you as big Mo. And she was like, Oh my God, I loved playing big Mo. She's like, that was one of my favorite roles ever. And I was like, ah, that makes me so happy to hear you. (laughs) She, she said that it was a very hard role to do because she had the, wear a fat suit which is not easy she had uh, she was constantly smoking cigars which for someone who might be a non-smoker is not easy <laughs> unless you're like quiet yeah, i Barger. read in the smoking cigars is not the, uh, normal. The, the the trivia that the that it actually made her sick a couple of times yeah that's yeah that can be very taxing on you if you're not into you know smoking cigars so she said it was a very um you know intense difficult role to do but she said it was one of her favorites and i said well you know even if you don't have photos from it that at least makes me happy to hear you say that because that's <laughs> my favorite that's my favorite meg foster role period and i think she's truthfully she's maybe one of the coolest uh even kind of underappreciated full moon villains in my opinion too so which is probably a really tall statement, but I, I think Big Mo is a pretty awesome character because, you know, she's bad. Like you said, she's got that smooth kind of noirish villain vibe where she could almost be like a James Bond villain or something. But oh, yeah. she's not she's not evil and dislikable enough that like she's a babe of a of a trophy hottie that basically like <laughs> <laughs> hangs around with Mitzi, you know, and you know, she's just a cool character. She's like the definition of like crime cool. <laughs> yeah, she's cool as a cucumber. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one of the first notes I have here, besides you know, in parentheses, Meg Foster's Big Mo, but was uh, the soundtrack. This, I think, this movie has one of the best soundtracks not just the you know the inclusion of the oingo not just the inclusion of the oingo boingo music but the actual soundtrack the 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 themes by richard band and then accompanied by that nifty main title by danny elfman it has it it's got his signature stamp on it it feels very much like you know dark man meets you know uh Batman. It, it's got a very cool sounding soundtrack, and uh, I still somewhere in one of my boxes in my closet have the soundtrack 
on cassette somewhere. Don't know where, but it's 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 there. At least it should be. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, the opening of this movie is uh my first thought here is Tommy seems like a good kid. The other kids not so much. And the other couple of kids seem like, uh, you know, the rest of the kids seem like troublemakers. Now, I'm not talking uh, Freddie or uh, what was his name? Uh, Bill, Billy. But yeah. I mean, like Denny and his other buddies. Yeah, those guys are the the equivalent of every bad guy gang in a movie that you've seen come out of the 80s. Just done a 10 years later. It felt very much like a little bit the outsiders meets the wanderers, so to speak. Yeah. Yep. They're doing everything but coming up going they're doing everything but that. <laughs> but uh it's kind of funny that, you know, when you think about it, the two guys named Booger and Vinny are bad seeds. It's kinda of like say it ain't so, really. <laughs> <laughs> and they're picking on the new kid in town, beating him up and knocking him down and uh but the character I love and I, I I mean, you know, Big Mo is my favorite character, but the character I love is it's got to be Mr. Sumatra, uh, Julia, uh, Julius Harris. He's just so cool. He's so charismatic, and he's so theatric. He, he's <laughs> I'm not saying he's above a movie like this because this movie is top notch, but it's just like it feels like he's doing Shakespeare in a grand theater as opposed to working on film. If that makes any sense. Yeah, he's very uh, he's very intense and stoic, and he's always got just like that stone cold face of you know uh, just strength and <laughs> and like pride, you know, because he's very he's very proud Haitian, and you know his heritage and his former work, you know, and. Uh, just that he's a, he is definitely another one that is he's a very smooth, just very likable character. Even if he has like kind of a, I think he could have almost more of a scarier vibe than Big Mo because he's into, you know, yeah, voodoo and <laughs> black <laughs> magic and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I mean he's got you know like rotting goats hanging in his apartment, and he you know scoops up dead kitty cats off the stoop to you know take home and stuff <laughs> you know, decapitating you know teenagers so he can boil their heads it's a he's a got a very morbid feeling uh character quirks but he's so likable the way that he's played that he doesn't necessarily feel like he's threatening well he's only to, threatening if you're a bad guy if if, if, you're, if you have evil intentions, you know that's the only person he's threatening to. <laughs> the kids love him. The three, you know, hero characters love him, and so does you know Sally. They all like really uh, look up to him and show him a lot of respect. So that's yeah. not something that can probably a character like that probably couldn't be pulled off by too many uh, actors the way that it's done in this. I don't think. Well, he has an otherworldly feel about him. Like, you feel like he's just educated well beyond his years, and he's almost, he, he, he's timeless in a manner of speaking. Uh, again, if that makes sense. You know, he just feels like someone who's probably lived and been around. He's almost, I'm not saying like a vampire kind of mode, but, you know, he's, he's somebody who's lived multiple lifetimes. You just kind of get that feeling about him. I mean, even towards the end when he gets shot, he <laughs> he doesn't, he just seems to shake it off. 
you know, he's just like, oh, yeah, don't worry. I'm going to be just fine. They never address that either. You know, he just gets shot. You know why? You know why they don't need to address it? Because everything can be taken care of when you go back to his condo. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. To my condominium. (laughs) Like everything's like, we have to get back to my condominium. Everything. That's where everything gets made better is back in his condominium. (laughs) He's saying, if he can make a, uh, uh, you know, if he can fix things up in, again in his condominium, if he can make three, uh, you know, kids come back to life as, as shrunken, severed heads, he can probably heal a bullet wound, no problem, I'm sure. But yeah, uh, it's, you know, the, the Vinny character is, God, he's uh, played by A.J. D'Amato. He is so unlikable. Like he's a good actor. I mean, he plays the role well, but man, he is so unlikable. He, and you, when you're running a uh, you know a group of guys, you know, called the Vipers, you just again, you know, they're 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 bad news. I mean, Sally is really the only good seed here out of the bunch, and she feels like she's almost kind of <laughs> like a victim her, herself, at least where you know Vinny is concerned. He, he's he's kind of got her under his thumb, but he's terrorizing. It's, it's it's weird because he's such a classic, he's a, like comically smug prick that it makes you, I guess he's like the walking definition of like when you hear that phrase about how like, you know, girls love bad, bad guys, you know, yeah. like bad boys, like, you know, guys that treat them like shit. Like, I guess this is like the, the grade A definition of that. <laughs> yeah, that, yes. You know, Sally's such a nice, sweet girl and it's like he treats her like shit. And at least for a, at least for a little while, she seems to love him for it, which is yeah, just she, she laps it up there to begin with until she starts to really see past the the obvious. So yeah, I mean, when she really kind of you know Tommy, the Tommy character that Erica Egan plays, he he, uh, he kind of changes her in that manner of respect. He she kind of sees like oh maybe there's something too like being into one of these quote-unquote nice guys as opposed to a bad boy but it doesn't uh, tommy's is, is too inquisitive for his own damn good i'm like i know like Vinny and his gang are really terrorizing the neighborhood you know and the only one that seems to be on to him is tommy mr sumatra is but he ain't playing into any of it but the you know the overall threat doesn't really seem all that major the the overall threat seems fairly minor until tommy you know, videotapes them, the, you know, the, the trio of uh, guys, you know, the Vipers, when they're like, uh, uh, what the hell were they doing? They, they were uh, stripping that car. Yeah. And he videotapes them, and, you know, Tommy, the quote-unquote, the rat, squeals and shows the cops a videotape, and he, he's getting the, the guys arrested. I, like, I knew he, you know, he was being bullied, but it's like he had to know. He just had to know bad things were going to happen. I keep saying to myself like as i was watching this like tommy shut the fuck up man <laughs> you're gonna get your buddies billy and fucking freddy in a lot of fucking trouble and it, it it's it's true it's just like you know the kind of it's it's funny when they bring the, them back to big mo uh what's was her last name mahoney big mo mahoney which i have to just interject real fast one thing i hate about modern remastered full moon releases is that they, on some of them, are modifying the films. And when you watch the 
remastered disc version of Heads, you get that amazing long panning shot of all the criminals in Big Mo's, you know, area. You get yeah, their little warehouse kind of mode. Yeah, yeah. Sitting on the sitting on the desk next to her. When it shows you the first shot of her, they have added in a caption saying Mary Big Mo Mahoney to like tell you that's who it is for some reason. And it's like that was never in the film. Huh. That so, that was something they altered in, in retrospect. Same as a lot of the films during the credit scrolls to now they will uh paste in the the number stamp as right, right. Well. I've seen a lot of those. Which I don't like. And they're just in the newer films, which is fine, but I don't like the idea that they they keep going back and modifying the original uh release versions of these movies with that kind of stuff. So but yes, yeah. her one's pony. <laughs> Which is funny because it just makes me think of Police Academy, to be That's honest. <laughs> exactly what I was thinking of the moment I said Mahoney, because it makes me think of Gutenberg. So <laughs> Can you imagine Steve Gutenberg in this role though? <laughs> Gender role roles were reversed. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been that would have been odd. But I, I think it shows that Mo really isn't, you know, I'm using air quotes here, isn't so bad. Because they bring the, the group back. They're basically like the, the Stranger Kids, uh, the Stranger Things kids gang. You know, at this point, you know, they're riding on their bikes. They're using, you know, the walkie-talkies to communicate with each other. And they bring it back, you know, to the, uh, you know, the the warehouse or the, the, wherever it is that Mo's uh base of operations are at she tells them straight up you know if you guys can just keep your mouth shut we'll let you off with a warning and but tommy opens his mouth and i'm just like they made a note another note here tommy you need to shut the fuck up bad things are going to happen to you Tommy just doesn't know when to shut his fucking mouth i guess because he just really wants to like be a good guy and like stand up to the man and kind of just like not take take shit but I think that, that that becomes his ultimate downfall because he just, yeah, he just doesn't know when to shut the fuck up because it ends up, uh, you know, they all pay the ultimate price because of his, literally his stupidity on numerous occasions. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, it gets them killed in a fucking uh, a, a, a drive-by. Well, not so much yeah. a drive-by. But you said she was going to let him off with a warning until bonehead here is like ah the, these are the number slips <laughs> we take these big mo is screwed let's escape and we'll steal all these and we'll be we'll have this to hang over her head too and then that's when you know she has to basically be like nope you know go kill yeah. them <laughs> they couldn't even just escape you know tommy had to insist that they they take all those you know those uh bet slips and his, his buddies, I mean, like, Freddie and Billy, they're both just like, nah, let's, like, leave this stuff behind. Let's just get the hell on out of here. But, no, he insists on it, and what does it get them? It gets them shot and killed. And, you know, I will admit, like, it's done, I guess, you know, for shooting and killing a bunch of, like, 10- and 12-year-olds. It's done tastefully. The shootout, you know, you don't see the kids ever take a bullet. You don't see any kind of blood. There's never a body to be shown yeah, you get, you just get that kind of artistic shot of when when uh, Vinny shoots into the the camera and it just sort of wipes out, and then you, I think you get the cutaway of uh, Bill's hand with the Wizzo. Yeah, 
Yeah, the Wizzo. Yeah, him and his damn Wizzo thing, man. Eating fucking <laughs> jelly beans and shit all the time. <laughs> it was a neat character trait. That seems like something that was more... This seems like a movie that was made in the 90s, but yeah. it was trying to emulate the 50s. It's You know what it reminds me of? This is a weird comparison, but it reminds me of when you would get into later Elm Street sequels, and they're like, here's these here's the new friend group base you know this yeah. girl you know like this one can draw you know this one she's a swimmer <laughs> you know <laughs> right karate and this chick she loves working out like you just get like that one generic character trait and it's like that's that becomes the defining factor and that's like bill's defining factor is is like he's not necessarily the skinny one you know he's like the the healthier shaped ginger of the bunch who just is a jelly bean freak and i remember in the script i don't i don't remember what specifically it was but he when mr sumatra gifts him the jelly beans from haiti i believe they're monot flavored is what he yeah. says they movie but it's something completely different in the in the script i can't remember what the original um uh, flavor was that he gives him but he gives him something completely different in the script <laughs> it is it is a weird kind of you know character trait but it it defines him he's he's a snackaholic you know yeah because i mean other than the other two i mean tommy's just like the proud you know like moron kind of yeah. <laughs> kid and freddie's just like the pussy because he's like yeah. scared all he's the scared. time yeah he's scared he well and he has every right to be you know, he's originally being the one being terrorized by these kids. That's how he gets introduced to, to the group, you know, but he's he's at least a smart one. He's the one that 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 says, you know, like, we, we don't need to be doing this. He's like, we, we just need to mind our own business. But nobody listens to him. They listen to Tommy. And again, it it gets them, you know, gets them killed. And just like I got to mention, because, you know, the, there's the whole uh, uh, part with, uh, you know, Tommy Larson's dad, Mr. Larson. I did not realize until this past viewing when I started going through the cast and looking up people because I thought he looked familiar, but I couldn't quite place who he was. So, I, again, I d dug into his IMDb. But Paul Link, that plays uh, Mr. Larson, the dad, was from Motel Hell. <laughs> and that's what I was like. I knew I recognized him from something. And sure enough, he's the, the, the sheriff in Motel Hell. So, yeah. Kudos for them to get him in in this. That that was a nice nice little touch. Yeah, there's a lot of a uh, lot of unique casting choices in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think you know we've done already touched base on it a couple times, but the best is 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 Meg Foster. She's the MVP here. If I ever got a chance to meet her, I'd have to tell her this is my favorite character she she's ever played too, without a doubt. Definitely. But uh, the kids, again, they ain't too smart. They get themselves a little shot up to bits. You know, like I said, albeit tastefully, no no blood, no no, no nothing like that. But Mr. Uh, Sumatra has plans. He he goes back to the, the funeral, the, the funeral home for some, I call it post-viewing hijinks. Where it's like, <laughs> with, <laughs> I'm sure you'll probably agree with me on this, is the most PG- handling of the beheading of three children that has ever been committed to the celluloid ever i mean yeah. it's totally pg <laughs> yeah it's weird because this movie has very adult themes in a lot of ways but uh, the way a lot of the content 
is approached is from a very family friendly, almost moonbeam type of angle. Yes, nothing, yes. Nothing ever too too crazy until after they resurrect, and then it's a whole other. It's kind of like it's like that scene in From Dust Till Dawn, where <laughs> it's like. Oh, well, guess what? You're at a vampire bar now. You know, it's like, oh, I guess we're not a, a crime film anymore. We're now a vampire film. So it's like yeah. you get this weird, like, comic booky kind of thing, and then it turns into this, like, bizarrely uh, violent <laughs> kind of, like, fantasy horror film in the, in the last half. Yeah, it does have kind of that uh, from Dust Till Dawn kind of feeling. Uh, that's, that's a good uh, way to describe it there. Because I mean, once Mr. Sumatra just gets through his elaborate setup with all this turning, I mean, severing the heads and shrinking them down and boiling them and doing all this. I think it's funny that he sets the the heads up on coffee cans, like with all his (laughs) elaborate setup and everything he's got in his condo, his condominium. He sets them up on coffee cans, which it just gets a chuckle out of me every time. I have to say that I love leading up to that, too. I love the kind of just sort of, you know, musical montage of him, you know, seasoning them and tending to them. And, you know, as he was loving, lovingly, you know, cooked them and <laughs> got them prepared <laughs> for their, their, you know, next journey. It's just so weird because it's a very sort of like paternal sort of um approach to it and then yeah he sets them up on the coffee cans for the the crazy resurrection with and his very elaborate uh i'm sure very authentic haitian (laughs) voodoo outfit which doctor costume oh it's great stuff because because now we have the shrunken heads and he doesn't plead a very good case to them you know that because they're obviously you know uh concerned because now they're severed heads and what kind of life are they going to lead he's just like well now you'll have powers and you'll live beyond your years and you know you'll live for a greater purpose but he, he to me as much as i like mr sumatra he doesn't plead a very good case to the kids <laughs> I would, i'd have been like you couldn't have just left well enough alone and let me this just die a natural death you know well, he's, like he's so into bringing them back to life and so like ecstatic to you know get them prepared and ready for this journey but then it's funny when you know once they're prepared and kind of doing their thing he just kind of sits them out on a shelf <laughs> yeah like yep. like they're props literally and he's like nah, you know they have no purpose <laughs> right now so they wait until their their purpose is needed yeah, they're they're just like house plants, you know. Yeah, it's like I'm just going to sit you on a, <laughs> you know, to sit you on a shelf like a couple of chrysanthemums, you know. Yep. Until you until you're ready to be used again, but then uh, we kind of get that nice little title title card. It's one year later because you know it's always one year later in one of these. Uh, it's it's kind of neat to see the transition with Vinny, you know. He's uh, was told by Mo. He's like, you know, you're working for me now. You're gonna, you're my right hand. I want you to get some clothes, get a nice car, and so it's so a one year later. He's still kind of like sweet on Sally. Ain't got past her, but um, he's terrorized the neighborhood to the point where everybody's paying some sort of protection. 
and technically, you know, it's kind of working because there's no other crime in the area, but these guys are just like, I call it like the creep show two sequence, you know, when the thugs come in and like rough house everybody in, in the, you know, the, uh, Tommy's dad's, uh, grocery store. It's just one of those, it's like, yeah, you know, you, you're paying protection from everybody else, but who's paying you protection from us. And this is where I made the point where it feels very much like a Tim Burton movie. You know, and it's not just because of the Danny Elfman soundtrack, you know, and the Elfman influence, but the the city miniatures, the the miniatures that they the money they must have spent to make the the miniatures of this town, it's really really good. I haven't seen the remastered version. I just watched it streaming on Full Moon Features, so I'm not sure how good it looks, you know, remastered. But the miniatures and the effects. It's, it feels the, they really hold up even by today's standards, I think. Yeah, and it, it, it just goes to show that even, you know, we'll say 20, 30 years later, you know, that a miniature might not look real all the time, but it's kind of like comparable to stop motion animation. It's still something real that's in camera, <laughs> you know, so it'll always look classier than something fake. And yeah, the miniature shots used in this movie, the, the miniature city, I forget what scale it was. It was like 140th scale or something like that. 40th, 48th scale. Uh, it was massive. It was humongous. And uh, that those those scenes are so good that those had been, re- that's one of those classic sequences, those miniature f- flying shots through the yes. city are some of the most classically recycled shots in the full moon library because those have been reused in numerous movies and if you look close on the on the tops of some of the buildings you'll see billboards for other full moon movies as well like i believe arcade and netherworld oh no kidding i missed that i did not catch any of those at all should have watched this with more of an eagle eye (laughs) very quick so but yeah yeah the 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 miniature work is really good and I love the, the, the training montage because you got to have a montage. You know, what is a what sci-fi action slash horror movie is complete without a montage? But I love the fact that each one of the sh- shrunken heads has its own power. Mm-hmm. You know, like Billy eats every everything and tears chunks out of people's necks. Tommy has the, the psychic power where he shoots lightning bolts out of his head and I wouldn't guess it wouldn't really be considered a superpower, but Freddy's is to all of a sudden to magically have a switchblade in his teeth that he uses to slice throats open with. But, you know, it's not necessarily separate powers, but it's like separate. <laughs> I guess it's, it's like power. It's, a, it's abilities, though, to be able to defend themselves and kind of uh, avenge, you know, for, for justice. And if you think about it, each each one's, "Quote unquote special power is actually kind of uh, fitting to their personalities in a way, because Tommy had that kind of fiery, you know, personality and wanted to, you know, stand up to the man. So he has that kind of electric spark to him, you know. And that's a good point. Good point. Bill's an eater. He loves the jelly beans, so he." somehow is like a vampire shrunken head (laughs) 
<laughs> with fangs and likes to bite in the necks. And then Freddy, who was always like the kind of scaredy cat of the bunch, he's now toting a, a weapon. <laughs> Ready. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would make sense that you know he'd need a weapon to protect himself. So yeah. Now, now how the switchblade, you know, how the the knife came into play, I don't really know, but you know, that's definitely a, a an ability that I think hu- regular humans don't even have, being able to carry a like a switchblade in your in your mouth. <laughs> and right. So. I, I kind of wonder, though, why it uh, took them a year. Maybe it was like a part of the training montage that we missed. But why it takes them a year to to take uh, their revenge out on uh, Booger. And uh, what was the other guy's name? Podowski? Yeah, Pud. Podowski. Pud. Yeah, I just, knew, I just knew him as Pud, but I was trying to remember his, <laughs> his full name. But I, I love when... Uh, Samatra sets them out on the goes, there goes the malefactors now. And he always <laughs> calls them malefactors. Not not the bad guys, not the villains, the malefactors. It's just, you know, great, That's great little are, speech. They are to the Tom Tom Makut. Yeah. <laughs> special, special task force of the Haitian police. <laughs> yeah, I, I want I wanted a, a backstory, an, an origin story for Mr. Sumatra. I always <laughs> after watching this, I always wanted he seemed like such an infinitely more interesting character than anybody else in, in this movie, maybe except for Big Mo. But I like I I wanted an, an origin story for that guy. I can picture that being like the the Haitian kind of like Jack Death, just with like uh the ability to use voodoo and fighting crime. Yeah, and you know what, ironically he'd be it he'd be in Haiti, so he could fight you know, zombies, like, uh, or so infamously from Haiti, supposedly. So much like how Jack Death technically fights uh, transfers, which are essentially mind-controlled zombies. Yeah, don't, no, that's that's the movie we, we, we need. Jack Death and Mr. Sumatra together. And an old, now they would both be in an old folks' home, but, you know, it, it, it could work. I'd still watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know me, I've often said I'd watch anything with uh, Tim Thomerson. So you give, give me that origin story, or not, a, not an origin story, but give me that story, kind of like a Bubba Hotep, you know, uh, fighting crime and fighting monsters in, in uh, the old folks' home. I'm all there for it. But I, I, love, I love the fact that the, uh, the, the, the unfortunate kind of byproducts is that the, the victims of these guys all become zombies. Uh, Pud and Booger, I mean, they had it coming. They totally had it coming. But when they come back as, as not just zombies, but I, 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 I do question one little thing about this: Why are they farting zombies? <laughs> yeah, they're very flatulent, uh, just rotting corpses with a with a strong penchant for 
cleaning up garbage and do-gooding. Yeah, do-gooding and cleaning up garbage and uh, doing away with uh, graffiti. But uh, but they will eventually dissolve. They they don't last either. So it's like uh, they go through that cycle of you know they'll they'll do that do-gooding for a brief period of time, and then Mr. Sumatra says that they'll eventually just uh, break down into a puddle of goo. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> a puddle of organic stew, as we like to say. <laughs> <laughs> Now this does have a, have a trope in it that I like, but I know that you don't necessarily uh, care for that much. Is when they show movies uh, from the other from the filmmakers on the on the TV. Yeah. Because yeah, we it, do get we do get a little bit of robot wars on the TV. It happens a lot in full moon movies. So and yeah, and this one you do get like those multiple layers of it because you get the. You see the the billboards on top of the buildings, and then Pud's actually watching Robot Wars. So, yeah, I I kind of like that trope. I know you're not a huge fan of that, but it always makes me giggle. It's like because I love trying to pick it out. I, I was actually watching it and rewound it a couple times, trying to decipher whether it was Robot Jocks or Robot Wars. But it took yeah, me a little while. Definitely Robot Wars, because <laughs> you see, I believe you see some pretty clear shots of. Uh, Don Michael Paul. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, but it's, it's, let's see, it's one year later, and no big surprise, but Vinny is still quite uh, the, the piece of shit. He's still quite an asshole. And uh, it, it, it's, it's funny when Mr. Sumatra kind of takes Sally from him, because Mr. Sumatra is the only one not paying any protection, so they kind of send them out to, to try to take take out Mrs. Sumatra that does not work out well for them. Uh, but I like when Mrs. Sumatra tells, you know, uh, Sally, you know, bear witness, Sally. And it's she's like kind of like, but I don't want to, I don't really want to. Um, and I, I kind of, I, I feel like this is the one point of the movie that is slightly inappropriate because he has a discussion with her about whether or not she's a virgin. And is this like, <laughs> she's like she's like 15 or 14, you know, and it's just like this should not be a, a, a discussion between a 70 year old man and, and, a, and a, a preteen girl. Is this it feels a little bit inappropriate. Yes, to see if she she will be appropriate to be the high priestess. Yeah, but <laughs> like but like another thing that's a little bit inappropriate is uh, Tommy's attempted embrace. Of, yeah. of of Sally when he nuzzles under her shirt is this like um but you're a severed head he basically uh, sexually assaults her and I don't know what's more in retrospect you know thirty years later what's more offensive Tommy assaulted her by just like shooting up her dress to you know nuzzle her her breasts or or the fact that when you think about it you think the conversation that he has with Sally about being a virgin is appropriate or not. How about the fact that he's bringing her back to his condominium? <laughs> like, <laughs> and he, and he just ha- happens to have the, that dress that just is there that fits her? Yeah. yeah. It's all, all kinds of suspicious, technically. But, I mean, it's all, all for pure uh, reasons on his part. But it's still quite, quite sus. <laughs> yeah, it's very suspect to the average 
person. But same as you know, I don't I don't think that too many people would probably uh, defend Tommy just kind of shooting up Sally's clothes. But you know, it's this... the only way to show affection apparently. And Sally's sort of right when she, you know, accuses Mr. Sumatra. Like, she's like, you couldn't have left them alone. She's like, what what you did to them wasn't right. But he totally defends himself. And you can't really argue with either one of them. I mean, like, she's right that it was a totally inappropriate what he did. You know, let's face it. He went in. And... <laughs> What's that? To the cruelest thing she's ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, shrunken, severed fucking heads of, of her of her friends. You know, yeah, it, it, I would imagine it would be the the cruelest thing she ever seen. Yep, it's it's a weird movie, but it's 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 Richard Elfman, so it, farting zombies and severed, shrunken heads. You know, uh, it's just, you know, Mrs. Sumatra wanting to, yeah, yeah, it's 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 all part of it. But Mr. Sumatra, you know, like, he wants to boil Vinny's head. You know, it'll be fun. You know, sure. But I I love when Mr. Sumatra comes out in that suit, that very spiffy suit that he said, I I can't remember where he said he got it. But he looks slick in that suit. You know, he he has some great, great wardrobe changes in this movie. That, That was his, are you referring to his outfit? Or his uniform for the Tantan Makut? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a very, very slick, like, uh, it was blue, wasn't it? Very, like, snazzy, snazzy outfit. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Very stylish. Yes. He so he's like Mr. Cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he's got the sunglasses. He's got the slick suit. He is, he's dressed to the nines. Uh, but, uh, when the, the my, I think my favorite scene is when everybody's back at Big Mo's place and they're kind of the Mr. Sumatra leads the zombie attack. It's a total what the fuck moment when they open the door and he just blasts the guy in the forehead with the with the, that big forty four magnum. It's, it's like a shocking moment of like tonal imbalance, <laughs> <laughs> right? But he explains that later because Sally, after all said and done, Sally asks him, you know, she's like, I just have one question. Like, why did you shoot that man in the head? And what was his answer? Oh, oh, I'm it's on the tip of my tongue. When the Tom McCook comes in knocking, don't answer the door. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I knew he had a good one liner there, but I didn't write it down. I, I wrote Which, so many different one liners down, but exactly. I didn't get it. Which definitely makes you think and second guess uh, law enforcement in Haiti. (laughs) (laughs) Shoot first, ask questions later. Literally. Well, so I guess, you know, Haiti uh, Police Department was just a few decades ahead of uh, the U.S. (laughs) with the whole shoot first, ask questions later kind of thing, which, you know, is what it is. But we also get during that Oingo Boingo musical chase at the end and the car chase is pretty it's pretty good there's not many you know uh lengthy car chases in full moon films but this is one of the few but it's fun though it's fun it's it's a lively final sequence and it's and again it's a little more high concept i mean granted at the end of some of these movies you got like big robots fighting each other or something depending on what full moon movie you're watching but it's like a car chase is a, is a pretty, you know, realistic, 
not always easy to film thing to actually cap off your movie. I mean, it's not like Ronin or something like that, you know, where there's like a 35 like nonstop car chase, but it's, it's for in the annals of full moon though, to like to end the movie on a, on a big car chase feels, uh, very high concept. Yeah. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah. That to no one lives forever. And there's, there's a lot of cool, um, comic relief and stuff going on in that whole sequence as a, as a kid, when I watched this, that was one of my favorite sequences. And it still is honestly like ever I would, I would rewind the tape and go back to that sequence and watch that sequence over and over. Like this movie is what introduced me to Oingo Boingo and taught me to love anything Oingo Boingo related. <laughs> See if this, this song, no one lives forever between this movie and Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. Like, had my love for uh, Boingo Boingo totally yeah. cemented. Yeah, you can only use that song in a movie if the movie is, like, a very, very fucking powerful film. So Right. And this is the point where we get the director cameo on the uh, the church bus full of, uh, you know, kids and whatnot doing his preaching and stuff before it crashes into the, uh, the harbor. A very Richard he- Elfman. <laughs> like... Very over-the-top cartoonish, because he's a very, very crazy, over-the-top kind of guy, I think. Oh, yeah, and God bless him for it, you know? I mean, where would we be without people like that? (laughs) I think it's, you know, when we get start getting, everybody starts getting taken down, you know, you know, the Mo actually manages to take out two of our boys, I think it takes out, uh, what, Billy first with the shotgun blast point blank to the head. Then they run over poor, poor Freddy. And then poor yep. Freddy, they run him over again later on. Like, the, <laughs> when they go to pick up the head, and like, why did they have to run him? Like, couldn't they just angle the car over a little bit and not squash his head even further? But That's yeah, okay. Just saying. Everything, everything gets fixed back in the condominium. <laughs> but I think it's funny that everything manages... Uh, we end up managed to get to uh, take down Mo with the help of Mitzi. You know, I think it's funny that, you know, the. She, she's the, the girl hanging on big Mo's arm the entire movie. And really in the end, like they, take you know mow down with her help it was a, a twist and turn that at least in my first viewing of this you know obviously i've seen this many times since then i did not mm-hmm. see it coming i did not mm-hmm. see it coming at all mitty's like a, a a good woman at heart even though she maybe likes bad bad girls <laughs> you know like she still doesn't believe you know you know, she's very upset at the idea that they actually killed those kids and stuff. Oh, you're making a mountain out, you know, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. And she's like, oh, you, to you, a bunch of dead kids are a molehill. You know? <laughs> right. So, like, she's, yeah, I mean, she's, she's, she's complicit she has a, in things, but yeah. she doesn't agree with it. Exactly. But, and she, she doesn't approve of that kind of behavior per se. So, and, you know, it's, it's, funny because I, I have to say it like of all the people that have been in full moon movies too that that actress uh, would go on to be 
a star on Disney Channel for a while. Lee, Lee Allen Baker. She ended up being the mom on Good Luck Charlie on Disney Channel. Really? She was the mom yeah. on that show. Huh. Yep. So. No idea. I, yeah. I just remember her being on uh, Will and Grace yep. for a couple episodes, but she's still acting to this day. She's one of the few people involved with the movie that is uh, pretty steadily acting. I, I, I realize uh, Miss Baker ha- has about 80 or 90 credits, so she's still going pretty strong. Yep. Yep. Yeah, she's still one of the ones still, still actively working of the living cast. Obviously, a few of right. them are no longer here anymore, but... Uh, bunch of them just kind of came and went so you know yeah i was gonna say a few of them came and went pretty quickly i know uh darius love plays uh freddie is still working pretty uh pretty solid you know he's Mm -hmm. kept somewhere around 40 50 credits he's worked pretty pretty solidly over the years and of course meg foster is still you know cranking out fucking movies left and right at, around the time when that movie came out, Eric Egan, who plays Tommy, he was actually he went on to do a a good handful of stuff around that period, but he hasn't acted in roughly twenty years. Yeah, I think everybody takes uh, d- different roads in life, you know, and just like think that sometimes people probably just probably get tired of the hustle and bustle of the business, yeah. you know. I think that are some of our bad guys too, like. Uh, Bodie Elfman and Troy Froman, they're still they're still working. So yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Bodie Elfman, I, I love him as Booger. <laughs> he's a he's a great fucking character. Which which goes to show too, this movie is very much a an Elfman affair because it's directed by Richard Elfman, has the main theme by Danny. Bodie is uh, Richard's son. Uh, I believe Richard's other son, whose name escapes me, was actually Eric Egan's double. Oh. And uh, Richard is obviously in the movie as the preacher. And the Mr. and Mrs. Berkowitz characters were actually uh, Richard and Danny's father and grandmother. Oh, the Berkowitzes? That was his yep. parents? Oh. Is their father and their grandmother. Yeah. Ah. So there's there's a lot of Elfman blood in in this cauldron. <laughs> so, <laughs> this cauldron that's sitting up in in Mr. Samasha's condominium. Exactly. So I think a lot of that having a lot of that involvement helps kind of add that very distinct flavor of you know that Elfman flavor yeah. to the movie. If you if you know the Elfmans beyond just Danny, you you know what that means. So, yeah, there's uh, some quirky, strange individuals, but uh, I love quirky and strange people. So you know, I'm fine with that. I think really the only problem, the only issue I have with this movie is the ending does feel a little bit abrupt with what happens uh, to Vinny at the end. You know, when they when they turn him when it's just it just feels uh, I mean, it's not without merit, but it just feels uh, abrupt, if that makes sense. It's weird in that there's the buildup and then they have the big chase scene 
and there's there's a lot of the talk of oh you know Mr. Sinatra's got plans you know for for you two you know he's gonna boil your head or whatever you know but then when they get them you don't really see what see them do anything it just sort of cuts and then you get the resolution and then you have to get kind of the the payoff of what probably happened in the post credits scene right right and let's talk about that post credit scene a little bit i love it <laughs> when mitzi's coming up with all those people and you see zombie mo and zombie Vinny, you yeah. know all like cleaning up cleaning <laughs> up garbage and, and and cleaning up graffiti and even with her mouth sewn shut you can hear you know mo saying something or other mitzi you can just kind of it's almost like a like Kenny from South Park, you can kind of understand a little bit of what she's saying. She's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's almost like they like the intention was maybe she or maybe he uh, did something similar to them to what he did to the heads because they seem like they their heads are makeup design wise look comparable to the shrunken heads with the way yes. that their faces are kind of sewn shut and they have I. I can't remember for sure. Do they still have the little corks in their noses too? Yes, they still have the little corks in their noses. The, the idea feels like maybe the intention was that they were kind of like the the guy, you know, like the shrunken head on a big body, kind of like a la Beetlejuice kind of vibe, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know which guy you're talking about. Yeah. I think budget-wise, they just maybe couldn't do that <laughs> or visually pull it off. With that, without sacrificing, maybe not having the real actors do it. I don't know, but um, that's kind of fuels what like what the intention was supposed to be. So yeah, I think like that their punishment was like unlike the other people that died and came back. You know, their punishment was going to go on forever. Yeah. You know, but it, it just like it was just like I said, it was just uh, a little bit disappointing that the ending was so abrupt. But I I think the post cred scene more than makes up for it. Yeah, I think that it's almost just so playing by its own rules that the fact that it kind of has a a flat sort of non-payoff with what they do to them never really bothered me because it it feels almost in line with just the bizarre uh, tone of what's happening to me. So I never really thought about the fact that like we didn't actually see uh, Mr. Sumatra exact any kind of payoff or payback yeah. to them for what they did so yeah yeah i can see that like like i said though the 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 post credit scene more than makes up for it Definitely. and this is not back in the day when post credit scenes were not really you know uh, of the norm it wasn't like today where every every single movie has a post credit scene in the wake of you know marvel movies and whatnot having put three different post credit scenes per movie I kind of like the fact that this is one that 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 did that back in you know ninety four you know so yeah, I think in I think I've said it before, but like this is one of the only maybe three ish movies in the Paramount era of Full Moon that had a post credit scene, so the very uh, random thing to have. So, but you know that might have been part of Elfman's influence. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. Yeah, it's one added, you know, little kind of ha-ha at the end for you, so. 
Yeah, and it seems like such an elaborate, you know, effects scene to put both the, you know, Benny and Moe's characters uh, in that kind of makeup for such a brief scene. But I love it. I'm glad they did it. Yeah, same. But, but that being said, that is the end of our movie. Uh, one of the few times we'll get a post cred scene uh, with one of our full moon movies. Mm-hmm. But um, why don't we go ahead and get into our final thoughts and ratings on this? You know how we do things around here. Rating on a scale from one to ten. So, you know, I remember being a teenager and I would go to the video store every week on, you know, back in the day when it was Wednesdays and then it eventually shifted to Tuesdays when movies got released. And sometimes my mom would be cool enough to let me, you know, skip school on a Tuesday if it was like a good week. I couldn't skip school this week. The shrunken heads came out, but I remember she went to the video store and got it for me. God bless her. And I remember that day. I That's was, a good mom. <laughs> it was a good day, though, because I remember I had a field trip uh, for Spanish class. And we we drove down in a, in a school bus to Indianapolis and went to some show. I don't remember what it was. I want to say it was maybe a play of some type. And the whole time I'm like, God, I don't want to be watching this play. I want to be at home watching Shrunken Heads. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So I got home I'd and I watched it. Yeah, so I got home and I watched it. And ever since, you know, I it was like I was already obsessed with Full Moon, obviously. And this was like 93, 94-ish. And uh it was magic for me. It was legit magic. The tone of the movie is so off-kilter, but still very pulpy. 1950s comic book style i just fell in love with the look and the vibe the characters are all fun it's got such a such a great game cast richard elfman is probably i think one of one of the most forgotten and definitely underappreciated indie filmmakers that we've ever had because his stuff is always so genuinely weird and quirky. And when people think of him, all they usually think about is Forbidden Zone, you know. But as a person, he's done so much other stuff. And he was, the, I believe, the original founding uh, member of Boingo Boingo back when they were called the Mystic Knights of Boingo Boingo. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very, very talented, creative guy. So he was the perfect choice for this movie. I think has a a very slick, wacky script from uh, Matthew Bright, who's most notable for the Freeway films. Uh, the score, just everything about it spoke to me <laughs> so much. I, I can't overly express how much uh, it affected me. In the scope of 340-something-odd films to date from full moon i know you said this is probably top 10 i want to say you said this yeah, is probably if i had to if i had to rate it it'd probably be somewhere in my top 10 yeah this is always cited for me as being specifically top five for me most specifically this is my number two full moon movie of all time i think this is a just an immersive strange experience and it's that's what it is it's an experience and i've shown this movie to people and they feel confused (laughs) 
because it, I've I've gotten that from people that I've showed yeah. it to back in the day. Yeah, it's so it's a movie of varying tones, <laughs> and it it feels like it doesn't know what it wants to be, but I think all along that's exactly what they wanted it to be. <laughs> I think that was the intention, and it, I think it genuinely, like I said, I think it stands as probably one of the highest concept movies in the entire full moon library i think it's just a magical film for me it's it is unequivocally a solid 10 for me i have seen this movie legitimately probably over 60 times and every time it's just better and better when i rewatched it with the remastered version on disc the other day it was just like Nothing else existed. <laughs> like, kind of like just, seeing it again for the first time, huh? Sucked into the screen. I didn't even see anything else but the screen. I mean, much like Arcade, this was a movie when I got the VHS of this, which at the time I paid $60 for from the Full Moon Fan Club. I got my $60 worth because I watched it all the fucking time. See, I had no idea this was your second favorite uh, shrunken, or <laughs> second favorite shrunken head movie, second favorite <laughs> full moon movie. Now, I, w- I always knew that uh, Arcade is your favorite, right? Uh, definitely. Oh, yeah. I, I, figure, I figured that as, as many times as we've talked about it. But I had no idea this was uh, your, your second favorite. I would have probably guessed one of the transfers if I had to hazard <laughs> a guess. You know, but, dare I say it, dare I say it, that clutch, clutch the pearls. I don't think a single Transfers movie would make my top five. Oh, man. Come on. I don't love them. You know what? I (laughs) I think it's just there are different different breeds of full moon, but they're good movies. I'm just giving you shit. First first five and a half of them are good movies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, five and a half. Part six. Yeah. (laughs) We won't speak as we 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 don't even really like to admit around here. At least I don't that the part six even exists. <laughs> in, in 2029, 20, if we're still doing this and we've expended pretty much everything else, we'll eventually uh, have to broach the topic of uh, life after death. Literally, yeah, figuratively. Yeah, we'll have to talk a little bit about Joe slash Jack death. Yeah, so but until then, we can at least uh, relish some of the uh, quality films. <laughs> so we'll try. We'll try. We'll try to keep it going as long as we can, and hopefully, if at the rate that they're putting out stuff, we won't have to touch Transfer Six anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm I'm coming in pretty close to you. I'm I'm coming in at a nine. Like I said, this is definitely it's top tier full moon it's at the height of the paramount era it's so strange it's so weird and quirky i i love everything about it i think the only reason why that i i give it a nine is because of the ending and i i know it doesn't bother you nearly as much as it bothers mm-hmm. me but you know I'm, I'm a picky son of a bitch and that's so that's why i give it a nine it just falls to me just a, a hair shy of being perfect yeah everything about it the the quirkiness, the weirdness, like like you said, uh, uh, the music, the soundtrack, it's so goddamn good. I mean, between having legit Oingo Boingo music in it, some Danny Elfman tracks, Richard Band's score, 
it's a trifecta. It's, a, it's got a trifecta soundtrack that is just amazing. And I just I love it for it. I love it for the fact that it feels like a, a music a musical without the song and dance numbers is really the only thing that separates it from it because it's very musically themed and inspired. Um, I love it. It's, it's a shame that we never got another one, but you know, I mean, the the reboot and everything these days. I guess we can still hold out hope that they do uh, a Shrunken Heads 2.0. Maybe you know, we'll, we'll we we could get it. It's not the strangest idea that's ever come down the pipe. Yeah, and the movie ends totally with that setup because Mr. Sumatra tells Sally that she's now the high priestess. Um, I don't know if he says the high priestess of the the Duvalier or something, yeah. but uh, she is she is the high priestess now, and they're hers to care for and tend to. So you would assume that you know they would go on to additional adventures after that. We just sadly never got told any of those adventures so in in retrospect saying that it's surprising that this movie of all properties in full moon never had a comics run yeah i was gonna say it seemed ripe for one you know it's a very comic booky tone film so i i i'm shocked actually that that i've never thought that until this exact moment but it would have been prime ip for a a comic book series so charles band if you're listening <laughs> you should give do, us uh, what we want yeah, <laughs> like full moon comics would i think definitely do right by doing a, a comics version of this movie with some additional adventures uh of the heads because it was a it's a very ripe concept i think you know, I uh, help in my movie room. I have a shrunken heads wall clock hanging in there. So, <laughs> like, nice, it's a nice movie. They full moon used to sell a shrunken heads display case with little replicas of all three heads that haunts me to this day that I never bought. So, <laughs> I keep scouring the internet. You may find one one day. You know, eBay is great for that kind of shit. Right. If you can find the killer eye on eBay, I'm sure at some point the shrunken heads will show up. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, well, this has been a fun one. I, I had no idea going into this, even though we talked a, a whole lot of, uh, you know, pre-show. I had no idea that this was your second favorite uh, full moon movie. Well, so I'm glad that we finally tackled it. Yeah, this is uh, this is definitely, I think, some of the, you know, creme de la creme of uh, full moon paramount era content so yeah and i i think so too like i said i'd, I'd have to really think about it where it falls in line with uh, my top 10 but it would definitely it definitely cracks that top 10 without a doubt for sure but that being said i think we'll put a pin in this one for the evening we still have one more show to record we're doing a double header tonight and uh, so we got we got to get into the next movie here in a little bit But folks, so far, you have been listening to us dissect and review Shrunken Heads from 1994. So keep uh, listening. We'll keep bringing them to you.
my boys. It's time for your awakening. In the most high name of the most high spirit, in the name of the most high line of Judea, Hali Selassie, in the name of the most high Duvalier and the Tantant Makut, I command you, awaken, awaken.